0: Welcome to the hills. I'm going to begin with a statement I have never made in my 40 years of being a pastor. Do we have any Texas Tech Red Raiders in the house? Okay, going to the final four. We celebrate with you guys. I hope you go all the way. So whether you're a Tech fan at South Lake West Fort Worth or watching online, I'm happy for you and I'm glad that you're with us because we got some important things to say today as we continue to talk about race. Now, Last week, I said what we want to do locally is what we've been doing as a church uh, internationally and nationally for many years. Uh, we cross many ethnic lines in our work internationally, and even in our work planting churches nationally. In the last 14 years, we've helped begin 32 churches across the nation. Most of those churches have been led by a planter who was a person of color, and that's been intentional on our part. In fact, I want to take a moment and just celebrate. So, Carlos Azazaga and his family moved to San Diego to start Luminous City Church. They had their launch, their very first public Sunday last week, had over 100 people there. Five people made decisions for Christ, and three of them got baptized last Sunday. That's That's a pretty good start. And then... This last same weekend, uh, Brandon Watson, Epiphany Church, celebrated their third birthday. They're already in two services in Brooklyn, New York, rocking the house. Love Brandon and Ty. Let's take a moment and just celebrate with them, too. (laughs) So I just felt like as we have this conversation, there needed to be more than one voice. And so I wanted to get one of our church planters to be with us during this series. And I think I couldn't have picked better. I've asked Kenny Hart to come. Kenny, come on up here. He's all the way from Harlem, New York. Kenny planted the gathering. Okay, this church is not even two years old yet. Brand new church in Harlem, one of the most unchurched places on earth. And they're already having about 300 people a weekend come to hear this guy preach a word. So can Amen. we celebrate that? Amen. So I'm going to pray uh, and just get on your seat belts because the fire is about to come. Okay, so Father, in the powerful name of Jesus, we thank you that you've poured out your spirit on this man. You've given him an anointed word. Amen. Now we pray, Father, would your spirit be poured out on all of us to give us ears to hear what the spirit needs to say to the church today for the glory of Jesus. Amen. 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 What up,
1: Bill's family? How y'all feeling? Uh, so I appreciate Pastor Rick um, for praying a short prayer because he knows I'm a chocolate preacher and I need all my time in Jesus' name. Um, The Bible says to honor your leaders because they keep watch over your souls. Amen? How many of us believe in that verse? Amen? Amen. Well, well, can I just say this from my heart to yours? You guys don't just have an incredible preacher. You have an incredible pastor who leads this church. Can y'all give God some love for Pastor Rick? Amen. Amen. And what I love most about Pastor Rick is not his preaching acumen or his uh, years of experience in ministry, what I love most about him is he got swag. (laughs) He just, he dripped out. Amen. (laughs) Amen. Now, now also what I do, I do need to say this before we start. Um, The gathering is a church that whether you know it or not, you have helped to give birth to. Your generosity to this church has helped give birth to a church in Harlem that has almost 300 people coming every week. And you are touching people by just being faithful Christians here in Fort Worth that you won't meet until you get to heaven. So can you give yourself some love? Yeah. Well, I'm honored to be with you today to speak into this difficult but necessary subject. And I want to give you kudos as a church for exploring the deep waters of talking about race in the church. This is a conversation that most churches are scared of. So I want to give you guys kudos and love all the way from New York just for having this conversation. Um, But this is a conversation that um, is an interesting one for me because I was born and raised in Harlem, New York. Yeah, I got some New Yorkers in the house right here. Yeah, they know. Uh, I've got my family in the front row. Uh, but, 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 but I was born and raised in Harlem, New York, which means I'm a suffering Knicks fan. Yeah, y'all fleeced us for Pazingas. I don't even like you if you are a Mavericks fan, but I will love you today in Jesus' name. Um, but I grew up in Harlem completely unchurched. I I had zero church background. I had had no desire to be a Christian. And that, I think, gave me a unique perspective on race in the church because um, I went to Catholic school. And in Catholic school, I would see images of Jesus um, um, that that had him depicted as a hair model. (laughs) You know, flowing blonde hair, Big blue eyes. I thought, oh Jesus, is just Jesus, is pretty. Okay, Jesus, I will see you. Um, but then I would leave school and go to 125th Street, and I would see images of Jesus that looked like Bob Marley. And I was like, will the real Jesus please stand up? And then God led me to Oklahoma. That I, I don't even got time. I know this the last service, so but I still only got time to talk about how a black dude from Harlem ended up in Oklahoma. Um, that's another sermon. But it was there in Oklahoma on a baseball scholarship that a confused kid met Christ. And I was at one of the lowest points of my life, and I prayed one of the most unsanctified prayers in history. The prayer started, Jesus, if you're real. then let me just say, family, don't, don't, don't start your prayers like that. Don't start your prayers like that. But how many of us are blessed and excited that we worship a God that answers unsanctified prayers? How many of us are excited about the grace of God that finds us, that we don't have to go look for, but that came looking for you? Yeah, he's a God that you don't have to have it all together for. He's a God that you don't got to clean yourself up for. He's a God that's ready to accept you once you call on his name. Oh, man, I came to preach today. Let me take out my towel. And then a week after I met Jesus, um, I was leading a Bible study with my baseball team. I'm glad they didn't have iPhones back then. <laughs> I wouldn't be here preaching today. But, but, but my encounters with this racialized Jesus is a microcosm of what we're talking about in this series. Which is why as I prayed about what God wanted to share with you and what he brought me all the way from New York City to say, the Spirit kept pulling me towards Pentecost. Pentecost. Now, I know when you think Pentecost, you think speaking in tongues and baptisms and weird infomercials at 2 a.m., right? (laughs) And because of that, Pentecost has sparked many doctrinal debates and denominational division. But God brought me all the way from New York City to tell you this. Pentecost was not a moment of division. It was the greatest moment of unity in church history. Did you hear what I just said? I said Pentecost was not a moment of division. Pentecost was the greatest moment of unity in church history. See, just a chapter before this, Jesus gave the disciples a promise, and the promise was that power would fall on them in the person of the Holy Spirit. And the day of Pentecost was the day that God fulfilled that promise by giving birth to the church. But 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 but, but, the, but, but the baby looked nothing like anybody expected. Nobody expected the baby that the Spirit gave birth to to be from God, which leads me to my first point: the Spirit's power shakes. Our paradigms. Today's text begins. Oh, I love this. I got help right here. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Somebody say one place. The story begins with Jesus's apostles, who were his ride or dies, as we would say in New York, all waiting together in one place, which is where we are today. They were waiting for a promise that they couldn't work for. See, that's Where we are as a culture with race relations, we are waiting for a promise that we can't work for. The reality is that the unity that we need cannot be achieved by human effort. Do I have anybody in here who can amen that? The unity that we need will not come from our ability to figure things out, from our power, from our uh, intellect. It can only come from God himself. See, the whole Bible is about a God who comes to earth. Not about how earth gets to heaven. It's always confused me how Christians have turned the Bible into how we get to heaven. When the whole point of the Bible is how heaven comes to earth. See, we live in a world that's been racialized, politicized, and individualized. And in the process, Jesus' kingdom vision have been decentralized for my daily lives. Yeah, that was bars right there. I was a rapper in another life. You can get my mixtape later. <laughs> and all that to say that we've been discipled into division. Division is natural. Unity is not. We've been discipled into division. In America, we say things like, race is real, but it doesn't matter. I don't know, your, your race is real. Yeah, being black, being white, being brown, that's real, but it doesn't matter. You know, what? colorblind. That doesn't matter. But the reality is the opposite is true. Race is not real. Did you hear what I just said? Race is not real, we made that up. But it does matter. It matters when you're looking to get a job. It matters when a company reads your name. It, it matters when you look to apply for a loan. It matters when, you, when you're looking to go to school and get educated and your community doesn't have resources. It matters, but it's not real. See, the first thing you see when you look at me is a black man. And though I am a black man, I'm so much more than that. And when you see me as only a black man, that that comes with all kinds of baggage in your mind. For example, if you're black or brown, that means you automatically imagine connection with me because we look similar. But it, it means if you're not black or brown, you don't. Now, that's a problem when it comes to the church. Can I talk about that? Here's why this is a problem, family. It's a problem because that means that you could be in a room full of Christians who don't look like you, but who worship the same God, and you don't feel connected to them. But then you could be in a room full of non-Christians, people who don't believe in Christ, but because they look like you, you feel connection to them. What has happened to us as the people of God when the color of someone's skin is more important than the color of Jesus' blood? What has happened to us? But despite all of that, we still long for the power of unity. We long for it. We love to talk about unity in places like New York, in Dallas, and Fort Worth. But the reality is, unity is a dream, diversity is a reality. We may want unity and diversity, but we have no idea how to get it, which is why we need a person. I don't know if you heard of him. His name is the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that the disciples were all together waiting during the day of Pentecost. Pentecost was one of the most famous traditions in the Jewish uh, faith. Um, Pentecost was a time of year where Jews from all over the world would come to Jerusalem to celebrate God's new harvest. They were coming all gathered from every nation under heaven, Jews from every nation under heaven, to Jerusalem, coming to the temple to worship a God who does new things in the earth. Ooh, I love the fact that we worship a God that does new things in the earth. I worship a, we, I, 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 I'm grateful for the fact that we worship a God that makes all things new. I, I love that about God. That no matter what you came in as, God makes all things new. God don't leave you the way he found you. Somebody in here should have said amen. Because if you knew, you don't want the church to know where God found you. But you know where God found you. And I, I praise, a, I'm so glad we have a God who has this secret medicine called grace. Oh, man. Pentecost was the celebration of a God of grace. It was where people came together to worship a God who brings new harvest into the world. And because of that, Pentecost was what we would call a New York, a up. Oh, it was lit. It was litty. It was a lituation. Uh, uh, it was a party. Um, um, it looked like New Year's Eve in Times Square. Um, but while all this partying is happening in the temple, the apostles are waiting in the upper room for a promise. In those 50 days, because Pentecost means 50, in those 50 days that they waited for the Holy Spirit, they were learning that God's kingdom won't come by their power or their preferences. Ooh, that's an ouch moment right there, because we love to build churches based on our preferences. We love to build churches based on what kind of music we like and, and what kind of preaching we like and, and, and what kind of, come on now, I'm the only one that's going to be real today? Am I the only one in the house that's going to be real? We we, we love to build churches based on our preferences, but Pentecost taught the apostles that actually God's church was going to be built like this. It was not going to be be built by might, (laughs) nor by power, (laughs) but by my spirit, says the Lord. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. What felt like stagnation was really preparation, they were pregnant with a promise and no due date. Somebody in here is pregnant with a promise. You, you don't know why God has led you to the church. You don't, you don't know what your role is in this place. And let me tell you, you're in great hands. You're in the center of God's will because you're pregnant with something, and sometimes God will put something in you and not tell you when He's going to give birth to it. See, they waited for 50 days pregnant with something that they had no idea when God was going to give birth to it. But finally, in verse 2, the promise arrives, and boy, oh boy, that baby looked nothing like nobody expected. (laughs) The Bible says, suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Family, (laughs) this is how the Holy Spirit always shows up in the life of God's people. The Bible calls the Spirit's work a violent wind, not a strong breeze. Ooh, I like that. I like that. See, mighty winds blow things around. Mighty winds get things out the way. Mighty winds rearranges relationships. Mighty winds, the Holy Spirit will have you forgiving people you just want to be mad at. The the Holy Spirit will make you say sorry to your spouse, though you want to be in your feelings. Right? Right, The Holy Spirit is a mighty wind, not a strong beast. Some of us think that the Holy Spirit just wants to gently nudge us into God's future. You you, you think the Holy Spirit just just, just wants to gently push you into God's purpose. No, family, I came here to tell you the Holy Spirit is a mighty wind that will blow things down in your life and not ask your permission. He don't ask your permission when he works in your life. He will change the way you see people without asking your permission. He will change the way you love people without asking your permission. Mm -hmm. He will change the way you view people that vote differently than you, and he won't ask your permission. He will change the way you love people whose hair don't look like yours, whose skin color don't look like yours, who don't talk like you, without asking your permission. See, Pentecost teaches us that sometimes the Spirit doesn't stop the storm. He creates one. See, you want God to stop every storm in your life. And God is saying, I haven't come to stop it. I came to create one. (laughs) I gotta move. I don't know if you've ever got caught slipping in a storm. But y'all got some crazy storms out here in Texas. (laughs) I went to college in Oklahoma, so I'll be knowing. Yeah, y'all storms out here is crazy. You know, we got regular storms in New York. Y'all got, like, tornadoes and stuff that's just, like, have you in a fetal position crying. I, I, I... (laughs) But if you've ever got caught in a storm, in a mighty wind, you know how powerless you feel. There is nothing that feels more powerless than getting caught in a bad storm. Well, we live in a cultural and political moment where we're wrestling with the legacies of racism and white supremacy. That is a storm. That's a storm. That's a storm worse than any tornado you've ever been in. That's a storm. And though we didn't create this social movement, we must seize it. Do you hear what I just said? We didn't create this social moment, but as the people of God, we must seize it. We must see. Do you know what the culture needs? The culture needs the church to be the church. (laughs) The culture needs the people of God to tell a better story than what the world is telling. The culture doesn't need us to look like them. The culture needs us to bring God's perspective through the blood of the Lamb to this issue about the color of people's skin. I came to preach, man. I came to preach. This is my last service, so I'm giving it all today. (laughs) Amen. This is my last one. Y'all getting the best. Um, The Spirit wants to become the storm that rearranges your life around Jesus. He's a mighty wind that breaks through paradigms of how you were raised. He doesn't care how you were raised. He doesn't care who you were told to fear. He doesn't care who you were told were less than you. He does not care because he did not come to keep the patterns the way they were. He came to blow down the paradigm. He came to break through the, th- the thoughts. He came to change the way you think about people that are different than you. See, the first thing the Spirit does before he gives gifts to you, before he moves through you, is he moves in you. Which leads me to my second point. The Spirit's power creates understanding. Somebody say understanding. After the Holy Spirit shakes things up, you know, he liked to shake it up, he shows up with signs. The Bible says, divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. Did y'all hear what I just read? The disciples were having church, and then God decides to show up like this. Sometimes the last person we expect to show up in church is the Holy Spirit. This is how the Holy Spirit showed up in church. And the way He showed up was with tongues of fire falling down on His praying people. Now, theologians are in unanimous agreement that these tongues, these tongues of fire were known human languages at the time. These were known languages that human beings on the earth spoke, which means on Pentecost. We see the Spirit of God giving birth to the church by giving them the ability to speak other people's languages. You miss that. Look at what verses 5 and 6 say. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, bewildered. See, that's how you know God is working in the life of His people, when unbelievers come to the church and say, What is God doing here? I am bewildered. I have no, I've never seen people love like this. I've never seen people look like this. That is what Pentecost looked like. And the text says that when the crowds from all over the world heard the Spirit's work, so you always hear the Spirit's work before you see it. <laughs> see, this is the Spirit's work now. We haven't seen the results of what this sermon is going to give birth to, but you always hear the Spirit's work before you see it. Did that help somebody? So they hear the Spirit's work, and then they come together in community. And this isn't the kind of racial reconciliation that we see in our churches today. The kind of racial reconciliation where there's proximity but not intimacy. That's not what happens at Pentecost. These racial others gather because they're hearing the gospel, God's good news, God's hope in the world through Jesus in their own native language. Of all the ways that God could have given birth to the church, this is the way He chooses. Did you ever think about that? You know, you know, that blows my mind. Like, we, 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 we hear Pentecost and we think tongues and we think baptisms, but this is what Pentecost is about. It's about the way God wants the church to look. This is, this is what this point, this is why He chose this way to start the movement, right? Of all the ways. Man, He could have given Christians mind-reading abilities I wish you would have gave us that gift. I ain't going to lie. I ain't going to lie. I had that one right in my back pocket. Why, why you said you don't believe in Jesus? And then I just I hit him with it, hit him with the mind reading. But, but he didn't give us that. He, 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 could have, he, he could have done a bunch of miracles to prove that Jesus was Lord. But, but he, didn't, he, he didn't do that. He, he could have given unbelievers the ability to understand the language of believers. But, but, but he didn't do that either. See, that's, what, that's the one we want. That, that that's the, that's the one we want. The, we want unbelievers the ability to have the ability to understand our language. But that's not the gift he gave us. Instead, the Holy Spirit gives birth to the church by giving believers, the people at the center, the people who know God, the people with the message, the people with the power, the people with the privilege, the ability to speak the language of the people on the margins. Did you hear what I just said? One of the first things in life we learn is language. It's how we communicate. It's how we work together. It's how we find belonging. It's how we find our place in the world. In fact, you could say to speak a language is to speak a people. But do you know what Pentecost shows us? Pentecost shows us that God speaks people fluently. God speaks people fluently. And this has powerful missional implications for us as the people of God. Can I talk about this? got to talk about this for a couple minutes. Okay. The Spirit gave those at the center the ability to speak the language of those on the margins. He gave those that belong to God the ability to speak the language of those that didn't. Which means the world doesn't come to the church. The church comes to the world. Did you hear what I just said? See there's a big difference between being a church person and a kingdom person. Church people send emails to Pastor Rick asking, how do we get non-believers in this church? What event do we need to do? What outreach do we need to do? What cool concert do we need to do? What new thing do we need to do to get unbelievers, people who don't believe in the gospel, into the church around believers? But kingdom people ask the question, how do we get the church, the people sitting in these seats, the people who give their money every week, the people who sing songs to Jesus every week, the people who hear sermons every week, out into The world! See, that's the work of this. We didn't come to church to just sit here and hear sermons and watch other people do the work that we were made to do. How do we get the church into the world? How do we get the church changing policy? How do we get the church creating jobs? How do we get the church giving people education? How do we get the church in the world? See, there's a big theological word for all this. I had to get two degrees to learn it. Y'all show me some grace. Y'all pray for me. (laughs) The word is called contextualization. If you're taking notes, you can write it down. Contextualization. Contextualization is giving people the gospel in a form, manner, and language that they can understand and feel even if they don't agree. That's the key phrase. They can understand and feel it even if they don't agree. Everybody can understand Jesus died for my sins. That doesn't mean it touches them emotionally. Contextualization is learning the language that the people speak and communicating the love of God in a way they could get. Good contextualizers know that the local, the local determines the language. Now let's get real Hills family. Did y'all come to church to get real today? I just got to make sure y'all with me. Did y'all come to church to get real? Or did we come to church and just have another Sunday? I mean, if you did, I'm not mad at you. But did you come to church to just sing some songs again, and then I'll go to work Monday and do the same thing you did last Monday, and the Monday before that, and the Monday before that? Did you, did you come here to hear something from God? Because for me, that's the only reason why I would get up on a Sunday morning and come to church. There's better things you could do with your Sunday morning. I just, I'm just going to tell you that. To, to get up and sit in church and not change oh my gosh, I got to (laughs) move. The church has done a terrible job of sharing Jesus in the language that our culture speaks. We've preached the message of grace, but have lived lives of judgment. We preach justification by faith, but never preach justice. We preach justification, but never preach justice. You can't even spell justice without justification. Do you understand how the gospel works? In the gospel, God got justice. The wrath of God against human sin was satisfied in His Son, Jesus Christ. And in the gospel, God, who is holy, who is righteous, got justice, and Jesus got judged. And as a result of Jesus getting judged for sins that we've committed, we got reconciliation with God. See, we get reconciliation as a result not as a cause. Family, our racial history is unrecon- unreconcilable without a gospel of peace and a God of justice. Do you understand that God's throne is established in justice? Do you understand that God said, I have one requirement of you? Do justice. That's it. Do ju- Love mercy. There you go, there's another one. And walk humbly with your God. God is looking for a people who will do justice in the earth. The reality is that we, we, we want God to do things the way that we've always done them. But what would it look like to see a move of God in churches in this city where racial justice is preached and practiced? What would it look like to go to black and brown communities, many of which have been neglected by city and state governments on purpose? They've been redlined and kept from resources on purpose. Their schools don't have as much money as schools in the wealthier communities on purpose. That was on purpose. What would it look like to go into those communities and rather than gentrify them, we dignify them? What what, what, what would that look like? Imagine if we let the Spirit lead us to challenge segregation by crossing that river and crossing that wall and crossing that highway and crossing that street to empower and empathize with a people not our own. See, if your gospel is only vertical, but never horizontal, if it only cares about right relationship with God, but not about right relationship with people, then I came all the way from New York to tell you this, and I'm only gonna say it because I love you. You don't have a cross, you have a stick. And a stick is powerless to save. And because we don't have Pentecost practices, we've created churches that function as holy huddles, where we keep ourselves warm from the cold, unbelieving world. Oh my God, do you see what, who's president? Oh my gosh, do you see what laws they're passing? Oh my gosh, do you see what the culture is turning into? Who are we? We're the people of the living God. I don't, know, I, I don't know if you've read this in your Bible, but my Bible says, he who is in you is greater than he who is in this world. My Bible says... In this world, you will have trouble. But what? But take heart, because I've overcome it. The only reason you are more afraid of what the world is doing than what God is doing is because you have trusted in your own strength and not in the one who's overcome it. Pentecost teaches us another way. The Spirit's activity in Acts chapter 2 causes us to ask one question. What language do my neighbors that need Jesus speak? What language do my neighbors that need Jesus speak? Do they speak workaholic or alcoholic? Do they speak weed or greed? Do they speak depression or anxiety? Do they speak Republican or Democrat? For my New Yorkers, do they speak Cardi or Nicky? <laughs> do they speak Dallas or Fort Worth? Because you know that's a different language. <laughs> Whatever language they speak, the Spirit speaks because He's omnilingual. I, mean, I just made that word up. Stop judging me. <laughs> he's fluent in rich and poor. Black and white. Privileged and oppressed male and female. The Holy Spirit speaks single parent and married with children. He speaks church and unchurched. See, the best missionaries understand that the gospel content doesn't change, but the context always does. And whether you know it or not, we're all missionaries because every missionary, to be a missionary just simply means you have a sphere of influence where you can make a gospel impact in somebody's life. See, missionaries don't just go across the water. Sometimes they go across the street. Missionaries don't just go to another country. Sometimes they advocate for the community. But we all have a mission field, which is why the Apostle Paul says, to the Jews, I became like a Jew, to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law because Paul liked bacon. And Paul liked pork chops, and he saw them, he, he, and when they came, when the Jews came under the law, he was like, okay, I won't eat the bacon and pork chops, but hold that for me later. I'm going to get those later. Um, but to those not under the law, I became like those not under the law. To those not having the law, I became like those not having the law, though I am free from, though I'm not free from God's law, but under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. This is beautiful. Listen to these sentences. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people. So that by all possible means, I might save some. The greatest missionary who ever lived shows us what a spirit-filled life looks like. A spirit-filled life is not just manifesting spiritual gifts. It's manifesting spiritual fruit. Jesus never spoke in the tongue. But if you just touch the bubble of his Air Max, (laughs) you could be made whole. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm I'm in Texas. Got to contextualize. I'm in Fort Worth. Jesus was so spirit-filled that if you just touched the leather of his cowboy boots, you could be made whole. Can you confidently say that I've become all things to all people so that one of them might know Jesus? See, in a room like this, There's people who have all kinds of levels of power and influence and privilege. And the gospel question for us is not what do I do with my privilege or or, I should feel bad about my privilege or I'm an immigrant and I don't have privilege. The gospel question for us is who's flourishing because you have power? Who's flourishing because you have power? We flourish because Jesus had power. We flourish because Jesus used his power for those who don't have it. Who's flourishing because you have it? Who's flourishing because you own a business? Who's flourishing because you make a lot of money? Who's flourishing because you have influence? Who's flourishing because you have power? That's the gospel question. That leads me to my third point. The Spirit's power creates unity. Somebody say unity. Unity. Yeah, I like y'all. Y'all got me sweating. I love (laughs) y'all. The next couple of verses read, Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all those who are speaking Galilean? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Figria and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, that's Africa. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, as we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own Tongues. Woo, that was a sentence, wasn't it? I'm gonna get my dissertation on that, on them names. <laughs> One of the things that we often miss about Pentecost as we debate all of the different parts of it is how diverse it was. There were people there from Africa, Asia, the Mediterranean, and Europe. It means that on Pentecost, Galileans spoke German. On Pentecost, Hebrews spoke Haitian. The first church in history wasn't just multilingual, it was multi-ethnic. This should tell us something then about God's heart for the church. The Spirit strategically starts the church in one of the, the most diverse times in Israel's history. So if the church then was strategically integrated, why has it existed segregated ever since? Today, it's perfectly natural to imagine churches that are all black and all white and all Hispanic and all Asian. But how could we get that kind of of church from reading this text? Did you hear what I just said? How did a church planted with the seed of diversity grow into a tree of homogeneity? How did a church planted with the seed of diversity grow into trees of homogeneity? If Pentecost is your foundation, how would you imagine that God wanted the church to look any different? How could you even figure that God wanted this movement of his to look anything but like this? Which is why the wrestle in the New Testament wasn't, should the church be diverse? But how does the church be diverse? Because if any of us have tried diversity, we know it's a mess. If you've ever tried to diversify your church, your community, your congregation, your corporation, you know that diversity is a mess. Diversity will have Pastor Rick getting emails about listening to rap music in church, right? That's diversity. It's a mess. It's hard because everybody is uncomfortable but considered when it's diversity. Did you hear what I just said? If there's anybody in this room that's comfortable, then that means somebody else is not being considered. I got to move. The early church was not wrestling with the question of diversity, but the method of diversity. They were asking, do Gentiles need to be circumcised? Praise God, they said no to that. (laughs) Can they eat meat sacrificed to idols? In other words, the early church was wrestling with the mess of this, not the question of this. Which means Pentecost must not just challenge our view of ourselves. It must challenge our very view of the church. If our view of the church looks nothing like the major event that started it, then we should be critiquing our view of the church. If our view of the church looks nothing like the God-led, not man-led, the God-led foundation of it, then we should be questioning our view of the church. Is that helping somebody? Okay, I'm just making sure. Um, Because God has always been after the work of building unity through diversity. That's why he made us all so beautiful and yet so different. I'm glad God wrapped me in chocolate flesh. I'm glad he made all of this intentionally. I, I'm glad that he, 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 he gave me the language that I have and the culture that I have and I like the music that I like and I'm from the place that I'm from. I thank God every single day. I wouldn't want to look no different. I wouldn't want to be no different. I wouldn't want to be anybody but me. When I grow up, I want to be just like me. I, I wouldn't want to be... Like nobody else but me. And you shouldn't want to be like nobody else but you either. Because there's beauty in God's design. God doesn't make junk. Just because they told you you weren't worth nothing. Just because a parent told you you weren't worth love does not mean God made junk. Jesus don't die for junk. See, 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 this is why God made us all different but dignified. Because the church was never meant to be uniform. It was meant to be unified. It was meant to have unity but not uniformity. What is unity? Unity is different people doing different things for the same goal. That's unity. Unity is different people working in different places for the same goal. Unity is different people serving in different ministries for the same goal. Unity is different people doing different things. Some preach, some sing, some serve... For the same goal. Unity is different people making different amounts of money, but coming together to worship the same God with the same goal. That's what unity looks like. See, the Spirit empowered the apostles to have a unity that they would never have prayed for. You think the apostles were praying to speak other people's languages? Let me tell you, you can check your Bible. They were not praying for that. They didn't ask God for that gift that was not on their prayer requests. They were praying for power. They, they were asking Jesus, when are you going to restore Israel? When are you going to give us power back? When are you going to set us free from Rome? And instead, the Spirit does not come bearing triumph, the Spirit comes bearing tongues. They didn't imagine that God's desire for the church was to be diverse and dignified to be a family that speaks the love of God in the language of his neighbors. They didn't imagine that the Spirit was going to form a new type of community, unlike the world has ever seen, where the categories of love and belonging expand beyond racial and relational categories. And look at how the passage ends. The Bible says, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? some however made fun of them and said they've had too much wine they had too much to drink now verse 13 is ironic because when some of the people watching this see what the spirit does through the apostles they think that the apostles are drunk (laughs) that's literally what they say now I've seen people speak in some interesting tongues when they've had too much to drink some of us have been those people amen there's grace but I've never seen them do this. The truth is the disciples were not drunk with the wine that comes from the crushing of grapes, but they were drunk with the wine that comes from the crushing of Jesus. Jesus often compared his ministry to wine. His first miracle was turning water into y'all read your Bibles. (laughs) In Luke 5, 37 through 38, Jesus says, No one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, 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 no. New wine must be poured into new wineskins. God can't pour new wine into the old you. Jesus is saying he hasn't come to keep the world's traditions the way they are. He He hasn't come to keep things the way they are. He has not come to keep the status quo. Do you know that's why they killed Jesus? Because he kept breaking tradition? They wouldn't have crucified him if he was doing it the way they wanted him to. Jesus was a threat. That's why they got rid of him. See, we think that, that, that heaven is going to look like Chicago. We think heaven is going to have all this incredible diversity, but all this segregation. We think there's going to be a black part of heaven, a white part of heaven, a Hispanic part of heaven, an Asian part of heaven, But I will say this, if there was a black part of heaven, you know, the worship would be fire. (laughs) You know that. But no, no, no! Heaven looks like new wine! Heaven looks like Pentecost! With every tribe, nation, and tongue singing praises to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords! Yeah! A new kind of community is born at Pentecost, and the world isn't ready for it. Do you know why the church became the fastest growing movement that the world has ever seen? It's because they look like this. Do you know why the culture does not look to the church to answer any of its problems that it has? Because we don't look like this. And this new wine is poured out on people who are totally unaware of how much they need it. Every single one of us, family... Thirst for the new wine that only the Holy Spirit can bring. But rejoice today. Rejoice today. I said, rejoice today because you have access to that new wine without measure through the person and work of the Holy Spirit. So, will you go out today as Spirit filled disciples? People who have been filled with God's Spirit to go into every corner and crevice in this community to share the love of Jesus in the language that the neighbor speaks. Will will, will you go out into into this community ready to do all things for all people so that by one possible way they might know Jesus? Will, Will you go out ready to love people across race, class, and gender lines? simply so that they may know Jesus. If you're ready to do that, will you bow with me in prayer? Father God, I thank you for new wine. God, if we're honest today, we don't know how thirsty we are for the new wine that only you can bring. Father God, we have come in today, some of us beaten down, some of us exhausted from these kinds of conversations, some of us just wondering what what you're going to say, how this is going to be different, how this is going to make any kind of impact on the way things currently are. And God, I'm praying today that for those of us who walked in like that, you did something so real, so profound, so transformative in this preaching moment that they walk out of this place different than they came in. God, I'm praying today that you will pour new wine... And and at the same time make them a new wineskin so that they can hold it and not burst and spill it god i 'm praying that you protect them from any lie of the enemy who may come and try to steal the seed of what you planted in this sermon God i'm praying today for a supernatural covering on this church God because the enemy is mad that this church is having this conversation God i'm praying that you protect the people here that you fill the people here so that they can make a gospel impact not just amongst the each other, but in the greater Fort Worth area. God, I'm praying that the work that this church does reverberates well well beyond Texas to the ends of the earth. And I'm praying as you do that, that you get all of the glory because you are worthy of the praise. Father, we cannot wait to join each other in heaven and put our crown at your feet and sing praises to our King Jesus the Lamb of God who was slain from the foundation of the world. It's for you that we preach, it's for you that we pray, and it's for you that we fight the change. We ask for the help of your Spirit, in the name of your Son, Father. Amen.